Luna rather quickly. Okay. And what we were interested in uh, within the first 20 minutes of work is that there was nothing in the air associated with these glowing lights. There was no structure whatsoever around them. And so there went the Delta Wing aircraft and the extraterrestrial aircraft. Now, we did not rule out the idea that it could have been extraterrestrial in nature, sure. for instance. Sure. A, a rip in space-time and something shining through or whatever. Sure. Uh, skies and limit. Or, or something associated with the military at a distance. So we had to actually go to the origin, and that's quite easy for us to do in our work, to look at the source and or the origin of those particular glowing spheres. And that's when we landed, so to speak, on this fixed structure with these five lasers projecting out over the city from the south to the north. And this was done as a... Were you able to determine precise motivation as a prank, as a... Well, we, we, we took a little bit of a look at, at that. And the motivation uh, appears to be... Uh, now, I'm, I'm not absolutely sure about this. So I'm, you know, I, I, and I, I've got to be careful here about uh, naming names. Yeah, don't, please don't. I, I am not going to. But I, a certain television network just happened to be Johnny on the spot and conveniently in place during that uh, phenomenon to report on it. And uh, ratings are a big motivator, Art. That's true. And especially, uh, you know, you've got a, a novel, exciting thing like a delta-winged uh, UFO that's that big uh, over the city. And uh, I think you get the picture. I do. Uh, so you're saying that this may be a conspiracy between, and it would have, it, it's fair to use the word conspiracy, between a broadcast network and a company capable of doing this kind of hoax. You got it. <laughs> and it turned, you know, it's not really difficult to do. Uh, we, we've uh, put, put all the, uh, we've wired diagrammed this at work with some really, uh, really good experts and uh, less than, you know, way less than two watts of power per laser will, will do it for you. As some of your engineers out there know. Well, it's just not, it's not a very functional, useful thing, although it, uh, uh, it really worked for, uh, for these guys. It, it, it snookered a whole lot of people. Well, there's an additional strange thing about the whole Phoenix Light situation. I mean, the, the basic occurrence on March 13th was reported on, but barely. Covered, but barely. Uh, not covered really by the networks to speak of. And then two months later, two months later, maybe at an important rating time, I don't know, all of a sudden, everybody covered it. I mean, all the networks, CNN, uh, all the biggies jumped on that story like it had happened the night before. That was something we couldn't figure out. Well, who owned the original film? <laughs> I better, I better not go any further on this. <laughs> well, there, actually, there were several. Mm -hmm. There were several. Um, so, as a matter of fact, I think there were four or five separate video takes, uh, tapes, at least, uh, good ones taken by individuals. So, anyway, uh, there you are. How do we, how does anybody proceed to ever prove this now? 
Can can they do so? Well, we could name the company uh, uh, and do some other things, but we're not going to do that. I think there's a very real possibility that based upon uh, tonight's broadcast that they may come out and say that the company may come out and say this is how we did it. All right, and then there is a, another possibility, and that is that an investigative agency of some sort might contact you. Well, well I, I can't see why, Art. Well, who, who cares? I mean, what investigative agency that's would care true. about? I, that's true. Now, the one thing that bothered me and still does, as you know, uh, there was a request, a uh, very specific request for an investigation which got a certain city council member in big trouble. Mm, and, I caught wind of that. And I'm still bothered by the reaction uh, of those who were requested to investigate this. And they basically said, no, our city doesn't have an Air Force. We can't investigate. Air Force said, we don't investigate those things anymore. <laughs> and even if this was a complete hoax, Ed, um, even if it was, it should have been investigated by somebody. I mean, and it should be a mat matter of national, should have been a matter of national concern at the time and until now. Don't you think? No, I disagree. I disagree. If I were to shine a series of searchlights in the sky and, uh, and you came to the conclusion that they were alien, but they weren't searchlights. They well, were they lasers. Weren't. They were uh, specific lasers designed to create the impression, according to you, of an alien spacecraft. That's correct. But since so, no one in the in the federal government investigates alien spacecrafts, then there's there's no charter for anyone to do this. Well, but that would suggest that large craft, real ones. Uh, could appear over our cities, and nobody would uh, do a thing about it. I think that if the Air Force had signatures uh, that NORAD... That they would have gone after Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Uh, there was just not enough of a threshold danger or threat or a semblance of a threat to, to do anything about it. Even right. the FAA wasn't concerned. All right. Well, we'll see where this goes. We've got it out on the table now. I'm amazed. I never would have guessed that in a million years. I was uh, I was uh, pretty... Uh, I thought that was very novel and nifty myself. I am... Uh, a, a little, I'm, I, I think it's uh, unfortunate that... It, was it the uh, congressperson that uh, suffered uh, this ostracism? Well, Francis Barwood, a... a, a Phoenix City Councilwoman simply requested that there be some sort of investigation, that's all. Mm -hmm. And, oh, she suffered, yes. And as a matter of fact, it prompted uh, a resurgence of a recall against her, which she fortunately won, by the way. I mean, after all, to simply ask a question is a reasonable thing. Um, she had, as a, you know, a city councilperson, every right, I think, on the part of her constituents to at least ask I absolutely agree with you on that point. I mean, if something appeared over my city, I'd damn well want to know what it was. And I would do the same thing. Sure. All right, anyway, uh, here's before we get into the tough stuff after the top of the hour. Ed, I purchased a TRV module, module one, not because I wanted to learn remote viewing, but because I desperately wanted to understand the TRV process. Now that I've seen the process explained and demonstrated, I've got a question that relates to a comment you made on a previous Coast program. You said, angels can interfere with a TRV session. 
Since TRV appears to be a cut and dry, follow the algorithm and checklist procedure, I'd like to know how you determine whether or not you are experiencing angelic interference. How are these entities able to disrupt a session when the process is so structured? It is only under the circumstances where certain certain types of cues or projects are subject to TRV. It's sort of a trap door. If you hit certain subject areas, right. they appear to be hovering there at the end. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, on the on the interface of mind and something else, and they jump in and take control. But otherwise, there does there it's non interference as far as we're concerned. But in certain circumstances, right. there seems to be a trap door where where if you hit a particular cue a particular target reference, all of a sudden... Uh, can I give you a good example? Well, you may, but the question was, how are you able to discern whether or not you are experiencing this kind of interference? Uh, you, the only way that you can, you can know it is if, you have, if you've solved the problem using technical remote viewing, and the problem is a, a results in physical uh, evidence, or physical ground truth, then you probably you obviously weren't interfered. I think the the the, the short answer is there's you you really don't know if they're there or not unless you turn the tool onto your own mind in certain uh, advanced ways and look to see it would be like a computer turning itself its analytical power onto its own operating system and analyzing it. If one did that using TRV and advanced skills, you could discern the presence of something other than your own mind. And then you'd have to track that back and, and take a look at it. And uh, the information that you would produ you produced in that case, when we did it, um, very much fit the description of what the church fathers called angels, to our surprise. So the answer is, it might not be easy, particularly for the new... Uh, remote viewer to discern if they happen to stumble into this. That's correct. There are people in my company who believe, um, personal opinions, that that we're that this that mind is unitary, and that we're that this collective unconscious is actually shared. Uh, that the mind, the angelic mind, is really um, is really shared by by the collective, and the collective in, is interacts with it and or is the same field. The same field effects are present in both the angelic mind and the human mind, so we can avail ourselves of the intelligence of angels and vice versa. Hmm. This gets a little bit complicated and, uh, and technical. Um, as you know, Ed, I wrote a book called Quickening. It has, to my delight, and unexpected delight particularly, um, gone up to the bestseller list. It's really amazing. It's all over the place now. And it's as though it's, it's way past my radio audience. It's into the general public. People that, you know, don't even hear me on the radio are grabbing up this book. And it's, again, because there's some kind of collective understanding that what that book is about, even though I can't go and didn't go as far as you do in understanding what may be coming, I... I documented the fact that we are in the middle of a change. We are the frog boiling now in the hot water, this quickening that's going on. And so I guess that accounts for the, you know, tremendous uh, sales of the book or something. The fact that people take a glance at it and 
as soon as they look at the summary on the front of the book, they go, yeah, yeah, I know that's true. I know deep down somewhere profoundly that that is true, that there is something um, underway, some great change underway. Well, we all as humans have some, this sort of a truth switch where we know that, that, that it's true or not. And SciTech has no monopoly on truth. We, we do have a monopoly on, on accuracy from uh, the collective unconscious. If Carl Jung, for, uh, for those of you who are familiar with uh, psychology, if he wrote about uh, the collective unconscious and, and if he discovered the language of the collective unconscious, SciTech has the alphabet. Hmm. That's what technical remote thing is. By the way, in one case where people berated you for not getting it right, the A-10 that went down in Colorado, there was a story yesterday, Ed, indicating that for all of their looking and all of their searching, the Air Force still does not have the foggiest idea where those four 500-pound bombs might be. They have not found them. That's probably why we slipped uh, on them, because they were jettisoned uh, in the northeast uh, corner of Arizona. But that's not why we, we uh, initiated a, a, a search for that aircraft. It was to determine whether or not the aircraft and the, and the pilot were uh, were intact. That's right. the only reason we did that. The, the location was something that would have taken us at least uh, 30 remote viewing sessions easily. All right. Uh, Ed, hold tight. After the top of the hour, I'll serve up the warning, and we'll get into the other stuff. Will do. Thanks for the Phoenix Lights update. Ooh, a hoax, folks. What do you think? I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast. Again and again, I warn you, some of the material is going to get a little rough here. So if you can't handle it, go elsewhere. Don't complain. Go elsewhere. Uh, Major Dames, are you there? I'm here. All right. Um, a couple of obligatory questions that I would like to ask um, on behalf of everybody out there. There are some who have ordered the remote viewing uh, module one tape, and it still has not arrived. And so for all of those folks, uh, they say, well, they've left uh, the name and number and they have no response. Um, what would you tell them? We've got most of the stragglers covered, but there's still some uh, that are out there who haven't received the tapes. The demand has been so great for Module 1, right. the delivery has gone from about 10 days to 30 days now. But that's not... Uh, but we we do we have picked up most of the, the, uh, the early orders. If... Um, and we are handling it. All I can say is that we're, we're, we're backed up, uh, to 30 days now. Module two, uh, is not, it's, is in limited production at the, uh, at the end of October, early November. And that's only going to be mail on a first come, first serve basis. So the demand has been more than we ever expected. And, uh, um, we're doing the best that we can. All right. There is a number of people can call. There's a number that they can call to order. And uh, in the U.S., that's 1-800-556-0391. Okay. And in Canada, 1-888-878-0333. Okay. And if they have not yet received their tape but ordered it and they want to check on the status of their order, is there a number? There is only our website. Our website has uh, 
order status for every single individual who has ordered. Oh, okay. It's it's all up there. Our webmaster, uh, Martin Simmons, has created a special uh, a page with all of the orders on there. So people can go in with passwords and find out where their orders are. All right. Um, what? Let's see. Do we have your website up? Let me quickly check. Uh, yes, we do. It's a www.trv com. Or go to my website and just uh, go to the scheduled guest and click on Major Ed Dames. It will take you right over there. All right. Um, let's see. An update, if we can, on the plant pathogen. You said a long time ago that um, there was a cylinder that separated from Comet Hale-Bopp when it came by, and that it contained a plant pathogen that would uh, begin, that would enter our atmosphere, probably over Africa, begin in Africa, and would kill green things. Do you have an update on that? Yes, we do have an update. And, and uh, although this is uh, right out of fantasy and science fiction uh, books, I, you know, I don't know what to say uh, to your listeners. It's, it's we. We take what we get, and uh, this is this is as real as all the other work that we do. It's out there, and it's heading our way. So let me give you a spot report. Sure. Uh, it separated uh, about uh, April, uh, in April of this year, shortly after closest approach to Earth, and it is inbound uh, on a on a trajectory from uh, above the plane of our solar system, and is heading toward intercept with Earth. Okay, moving around, let's say nominally 20,000 miles an hour, about half a million miles a day, about 10 months transit time from the from the point where it was where it separated from the Hale-Bopp comet. Right. Okay. Uh, we're looking at at an actual impact. Yes, it will burn up over equatorial Africa, but there will be a piece of it that appears to crater. And the center of mass for that crater, and that is where the impact will actually occur. It's going to start, it, the, this object will enter Earth's atmosphere somewhere between December and February. December of this year and February of next. Right. We don't have a time uh, pinned down early, uh, tighter than that right now. And uh, somewhere along a line that stretches from uh, Eritrea in the north to Swaziland in the south, with center of mass, that's the most likely uh, impact point, right around uh, the country, right in the country, of, the small country of Burundi or Lake Victoria. Interestingly, at the seat of the genesis of our species, Homo sapiens. Yes. I find that quite interesting. Well, full circle. It is, uh, there will be spores released as it burns up, and there will be spores released at impact. These are very small, uh, larger than a virus. Uh, we don't uh, know how, how much larger. They're, they're fuzzy. They look very much like other spores that we're aware of, uh, microbiologically speaking, and they are going to spread like wildfire. Hmm. And it will kill green things. It will kill green things. Not algae, and that's, uh, that's lucky. Now, I've got some good news along these, these fronts later, but right. uh, the bad news, uh, I think, should be uh, delivered first. So, uh, you, you know, I've mentioned before, and everybody knows how I think how severe the winter is going to be this this year, both in the, in the northern hemisphere. Very, well, very severe. There's no question that uh, the climatologists and the, um, the news media out there has finally, interestingly, caught on to what's going on with the weather. 
and we're beginning to get some amazing reports. Now, El Nino is a recurring thing, comes every four years, but this is the largest effect, El Nino effect, that they have ever, ever measured. As a matter of fact, so large, there is no precedent uh, for it. Well, as I mentioned before, uh, that in conjunction with other things like the jet stream uh, moving around and uh, causing uh, cyclonic disturbances, all of this weather will eventuate in the loss of a, of a tremendous amount of our food crops, both in the United States and in Europe. And you are going to see cannibalism in, in Eastern Europe. There are reports of it now, as some of your listeners may know. But wait until the winter hits. It's going to be really deadly. So food, people are going to need to start thinking in the next couple of years, they're going to have to start stockpiling food. And when those stockpiles run out, there's not going to be that much growing to eat. And that's where uh, I have some, I think, good news for, for uh, people because um, SciTech has worked long and hard to identify sources of food that in, in the out years will be available when nothing else is growing and when individuals deplete their stockpiles of food. Okay? How long a period of time, Ed, realistically, would a person have to cover to get to bridge this difficult time coming? I think two to four years. We think that this, uh, this spore, that it, it, face it, it's engineered, uh, it's intelligently engineered. This spore that is contained in this cylinder is, has a clock, a lifespan of about four years. We're not exactly sure about that, but it will turn itself off and either go into a reservoir somewhere or become latent after four years so that the planet can regenerate itself. Okay. Um, another subject, uh, and I'm sure we'll come back to this one, but uh, it is a fellow named Lebed from uh, the ex-Soviet Union said that there are, and 60 Minutes did a piece on it, 100, 100 suitcase nuclear devices that they claim could be activated by an individual in about 30 minutes, apparently missing from the former Soviet Union's arsenal. That is very disturbing. And you said you had something on the next use of a nuclear device. Well, I think 100 is an exaggeration. Maybe. And, uh, but, but it was enough. It's of enough concern, and these are termed special atomic demolition munitions in the United States. They're designed for a special special role that I can't go into. And the Soviets had uh, had uh, similar devices. This was of enough concern that we started to take a look at, we actually engineered a technical remote viewing search queue to look at the next use of a nuclear weapon something that I have been avoiding for years. Mm -hmm. We decided that it's a little bit too dangerous to not look at, and particularly in lieu of this announcement by this former, by the Soviet commander. Yes. When we did this, uh, it didn't take us long to, uh, to identify the next use of a military weapon. And what, we had to really be careful here because in our search term, we were not interested in a test, the test of a weapon. We were interested in a weapon with the intent 
to kill. Yes. And where mass casualties were involved. Yes. So that separated out what we were looking at in terms of the collective unconscious and that pattern of information that we were going after. The next use will be on the Korean Peninsula. It will be a weapon that is strapped on top of one of their missiles. I can't go into the name of the missile program. It's, um, it's classified, and in my former life, I, I, uh, that was one of my jobs, to look at that. It will be a missile-delivered atomic weapon, the North against the South. And that's a very bad precedent. We don't have timelines yet. It's a bad precedent because it sets into action to keep up with the Joneses' momentum by all the other lesser developed countries who want, who are, have, uh, unemployed former Soviet rock, uh, scientists, uh, weapons designers who, uh, have, uh, sought warmer climes and other, uh, weapons programs. So I think you're going, once this is used, once it's used once, it's going to speed up, um, it's going to speed up the momentum. After that, not too long after that, we're looking at one other incident, this time on the Iberian Peninsula, northern Spain. So before we leave Korea, mm-hmm. um, we all know they're starving to death in North Korea. They're pushed right to the edge, and a lot of people have been expecting something awful to happen. Um, you said there will be use of one strapped to some sort of probably ballistic Type missile. There is a ballistic missile that the North Koreans have. I can't mention its yeah. name or, or anything about it, but that is that has been the one that has been designated for for many years to carry North Korea's nuclear weapons. Well, one eternal question, Ed, uh, with regard to the first use of a nuclear device like that is what it would provoke. In other words, what would come after that? Whether there would become then uh, a war again on the Korean Peninsula, whether they would follow that up with an all-out invasion from the north, whether we would respond um, with nuclear devices ourselves, uh, and that's a good pl- a place to hang everybody up. So we'll break here and be right back. My guest is SciTech's Major Ed Dames. He is... A lot of people um, just reject, you know, what you say thinking it is simply too incredible to occur. Now, we were talking about uh, Korea, and you think the next use of a nuke will be in Korea, north to the south. Uh, I didn't want to leave that before I tried to figure out what would happen. In other words, there are several scenarios, one being that would precede a general invasion from the north. It would be an isolated incident, but surely it would be responded to in some manner uh, by the South, or more likely, U.S. forces. All of that's uh, problematic as far as I'm concerned. Our, we, when we uh, conduct technical remote viewing, when we, when we go after a specific pattern of information in the collective unconscious, we're looking at a very specific thing. And in this case, it was an event that uh, the next use of a weapon uh, with the qualifications that I that I, I mentioned, a massive loss of life and intent to kill, and that's what we got. We don't uh, under those circumstances. We we there's very little little information connected with the rest of okay. of the picture. We have to do more work. For that. I see. All right. So that could be discerned, but it would take a lot more work. Yes, but we 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 do have a a close on the heels of that. There does appear to be another event of a lesser magnitude on the Iberian Peninsula. 
and that's in this case what appears to be northern Spain, where a a, a group actually uses the nuclear reactor in uh, northern Spain as a weapon. In other words, they yes, they break it. Sure. A big combat multiplier for a terrorist group. Boy. But the incident on the Korean Peninsula is, is very strongly apparent to us, and uh, and the use of a missile to deliver the uh, the weapon is, is apparent also. Uh, all right. Uh, I can only imagine. I'm afraid I can imagine where it would go from there. Um, and I would appreciate it if you get any updates. Uh, and again, you have no timeline for. No, this. we have to work timelines next. Mm-hmm. Next just means next, and uh, you know, I'd be guessing. But all right, uh, what else have you been working on? Uh, you said there is some pretty dire information. Did we already cover that when we covered the uh, pathogen? Well, it's not. I mean, it, it's there's more to that. We're not out to really. We're not out to capitalize on millennial madness. Uh, millennial madness here. There's enough madness to go around right now. I know. We're really in the business of trying to save lives. And I know more than anyone how incredible the tool that we use is. Your tax dollars paid for the development of this tool. And I also know how incredible beyond belief some of these things that I'm saying are. But. I want I want listeners to remember not not these scenarios because they're going to occur as far as we're concerned when 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 we say they are, but I want them to remember the things that are of survival value after the events occur. Which will be what? The, food, obviously. I the, what we say about food, people will remember. That's what I want them to remember. Some of the specifics about what will be available to eat, what the pathogens won't kill, what won't be affected by the weather. And uh, as you might be aware of right now, most of the trees in Europe are dying. Did you know that? You know, Ed, yes, I've heard that. It's it's really happening. And uh, so this is, uh, that in and of itself is, is incredible. So uh, we're, we're living in incredible times. Um, but the unconscious is our best friend. It is the master problem solver as far as we in SciTech are concerned, and it is also our best friend. For the, the Aborigines in the outback in Australia know that. When an Aborigine wants to find water, he or she thinks about the idea of water, and the body immediately responds. There's no thinking involved. There's no middleman. Right. It's the unconscious directly hooked with, with, with it, bypasses conscious awareness, goes right to the body, and, and the body autonomically responds and starts walking in the direction of water. That's the kind of thing that we use here in my work. Only we, we use it in a very systematic, very methodical way to solve very modern, complex problems. But it's the same thing. Um, in my book, this quickening book that I wrote, uh, which almost wrote itself, and so people are now uh, accusing me of having channeled the thing. Uh, it wasn't like that. At least I don't think it was like that. One never really, I suppose, knows for sure uh, when their thoughts are their own. And that is my question, Ed. Uh, it goes to remote influencing. How does a person understand whether it is from a remote viewer doing remote influencing or from something else beyond when their thoughts are their own and when they have been, in effect, injected to them through some means or another? 
Well, I think remote influencing, uh, it's, it's taken on, uh, the connotation that I understand remote influencing. There are some individuals out there who have suggested that, um, particularly, uh, former military types who have suggested that they were involved in remote influencing. Yes, correct. Telepathic contact with someone else and mind manipulation at a distance. That in fact is not the case. We did not do that. We tried to make it work, but it never worked. What you're re referring to is a connection with the collective unconscious. Yes, sir. And that's what we specialize in, in technical remote viewing. But we're, we, we go into the collective the same way that you would go into a library and request from a librarian a specific book. If you go in with a nonsense request, the librarian can't give you a book. Mm. If you go in with a request for a book that has not been written, or that's close to another book that has been written, then the librarian can come out with one or two books along those lines that right. may not be exactly what you asked for. Right. When you're engaged in this process of remote viewing and you're doing it correctly, you are indeed hooked in with your, your it is a robotic act. You're downloading exactly the information. You're almost a radio. It's almost a, okay. the idea of mental radio, where yeah. you're programmed into this uh, things the way they exist as a pattern of information. And your job is to do it correctly and in a robotic fashion, but not get caught up in the drama. Because if you start to experience things, the data stops. And the data is in the form of ideas. Ideas uh, about target, a person, a place, a thing, or an event, anywhere in space-time. But is there a more casual way this may occur? And, and here's how I'm asking this. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the first, I wrote a first book about myself, you know, autobiographical, and it was painful and it was hard to do and a lot of work. The second book, uh, at times, was painful because of the information that I was dealing with. But I'm telling you, Ed, uh, it just came. It just, it, it gushed out. It just poured out and one could almost make the case that you know I don't want to say the thoughts weren't mine because I firmly believe they were but the way they came out was almost without effort I knew exactly as I went along it just came if you are writing about if you turn your conscious attention towards an idea and then your unconscious attention follows to that idea and mm -hmm. finds the reality in the collective unconscious, then that's what you are plugged in with. Mm -hmm. Science fiction writers, Arthur C. Clarke is a perfect example. He's a very structured writer. Very yes. structured yes. indeed. Yes. And uh, people wonder how he can always predict things 15 years in advance of their reality. Mm -hmm. Because he plugged into their reality. And what he was doing was he starts out as a remote viewer. Psychics do this too, natural psychics. But what happens is that because they do not have the kinds of techniques and methods that we have in TRV, the psychic and people like Arthur C. Clarke, who are structured writers, do not know when their imagination begins to enter the picture. They don't recognize when that occurs. They don't recognize their own imagination operating upon and overlaying the actual data that's associated with the reality. Interesting. All right. Um, let's circle back now. There are... I remember you once said to me that there was a, a point past which you could not reasonably see. There was going to be, you said, an event which you thought might possibly be spiritual in nature, 
any event, though, uh, somewhere in the out years, 2012, was it 2007, 2012, some, somewhere in there, and it was like sort of a wall that you could not see past. It's sort of a bump, a, a something that we, it's a, a, a discontinuity, I call it a discontinuity, a discontinuity in human evolution. It may occur as early as 99, but the point is that we don't understand it. There's something that happens globally all at once, and it's either beyond our ken as remote viewers, or we just haven't gotten our teeth into it sufficiently enough to flesh out what is happening. It may deal with a sudden collapse of Earth's magnetic field. There's a lot of different coupling things that go on if that would be the case uh, in terms of the atmosphere, in terms of uh, uh, what kind of a snap that would uh, uh, occasion uh, for all of us and for all living things. And Boy, it's odd you should say that. Uh, tomorrow night, it's been a year, I've got Gordon Michael Scallion coming on. Gordon is suggesting, uh, and suggested in a fact to me, that what he is going to say tomorrow night, and the reason he's saying it is because the term is so short, the timeline is so short, that despite his condition, he does not have a good physical condition. He's going to come on the air because the timeline is so short. And what he's suggesting is the El Nino as we see it now is not the same cyclical four-year El Nino that we've had in the past, but something very different that is being caused by and will lead to a pole shift. Does that sound possible? It, it may, I, I don't know. We're looking at 1999, an event, some type of a pulse or something that, uh, that I've alluded to a moment, uh, a moment ago, and 99 appears to be the year. And uh, that's all I can say right now. We, all right. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you brought up the word pulse. And last week, I don't know if you got an opportunity to hear it or not, I had an extremely, extremely odd event that I would like to suggest to you for it. Um, I, I know that event, and we're, we've already begun to attack it. We were, we were interested in it, too. I happened to be listening when that happened. And just, I think you're referring just, to that caller. Yes, sir. And not, well, the caller was part of it, but the fact that um, uh, GE Americom has told us they lost Earth Track with GE1 on 50 of 200 channels, that doesn't sound right to me. And by the way, it doesn't sound right to the uh, uh, the president of my network either. I thought it was very odd and uh, unique enough to spark my interest. It makes a hell of a session. <laughs> we, well, it would be a number of sessions. Remember, we double-check our work and yes. uh, have to stand by. Uh, we are a corporation, so we can't afford to... The vultures are always hovering. We can't afford to make mistakes uh, like... like uh, like institutes or 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 centers or facilities, those kinds of things. It is true. There are you have a lot of enemies, don't you? I make more every day. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of folks that want to shoot the messenger, and uh, there's these are not uh, glad tidings that I usually bring. But what uh, again? What I want people to remember are things like chlorella and something else that I'll talk about. That that when the going gets rough and when one turns around and there is no food on grocery shelves or anything in the garden, there's other things that that can keep you alive. Okay, well, not we've, be palatable. We've, we've talked about food. Now there are other 
areas of preparation, I suppose, based on what you see. I can imagine economic disruption, social disruption, all kinds of disruption requiring other areas of preparation, assuming you've got food and you've prepared. What else should you prepare for? Well, there, we, we are looking at a global economic collapse next year, mid-year next year at the latest. We're looking at the loss of a U.S. leader through a natural um, an act of God, if you will. In fact, I'm going to send you uh, a sealed envelope, the name of that leader in there. You can have it notarized, uh, if you wish. I will. Um, but, but weather will eventuate in destruction of food crops. The microbes will and diseases will, will uh, be an extremely um, uh, difficult thing to get around. Uh, oh, yeah, that's another one, Ed. Mm. Um, in the news all over the place lately, suddenly we're getting uh, bugs that are not affected by even the last-ditch antibiotics that we have. I've seen about five or six stories uh, in major publications and on the networks about these new superbugs that don't care about anything we've got, even the strongest final-ditch stuff. Well, we've caused a lot of that, as you know, but I think that it's Earth's antibiotic, Earth itself. Uh, she's taken a lot of abuse, and I think she's administering her own antibiotic, mm. uh, if you know what I mean. Um, take a look at, it's a hark back to Ecology 101. If you take a sack of flour, and it becomes infested with flower beetles, I've actually seen this. If you take these flower beetles, are sm very small beetles have very right. small larvae. If you seal the sack up, uh, but it's, uh, that the beetles can't get out, but air can get in, and they have plenty of food. A point is reached where there's still plenty of food, and the population increases, and then they die on mass. Even though there's lots of flour left for the flower beetles to consume, they're poisoned by the accumulation of their own waste products. Mm -hmm. We've turned this garden earth into a cesspool, but this garden is living unlike the sack of flour. And it's administering its own antibiotic, and it's getting some help. The southern hemisphere, that's not going to get hit by so much terrible uh, uh, weather in terms of cold and snow, is going to be hit by uh, an antibiotic. Huh. An antibiotic. And that will take out a lot of green things. That would be, in the, since we won't have any food in the north, eventually... And the, the southern climes are warm enough and will have enough light to grow food. It's very interesting that this thing is impacting in the southern hemisphere. Well, survival is not just food. Food is a very important ingredient. You've got to have water. You've got to have some kind of power, presumably. Uh, particularly if you live in an area where I do, where our summers reach, you know, 115 degrees at times. Uh, you've got to have various things to survive. You've probably got to have guns because you're going to have some unfriendly neighbors when all of this begins to occur. So there are a lot of areas to consider with regard to survival beyond food, right? Right. I, I don't think you're going to have that uh, power, Art. I mean, uh, you'll have AM radio. Uh, hit on, you know, you're not going to have the Internet. A point's going to be reached where... Uh, let, let's say that there is a pollution. There goes the geosynchronous satellites. Absolutely. Back to AM radio and uh, and ham radio. That'll be there. And 
What you'll need most is is food, a water supply. You'll probably have to be underground because of uh, of conditions in the atmosphere. What is going to make crop production untenable will make being out in the open untenable also. But more than anything, you're going to have to have communities of like-minded people because you're not going to be able to go it alone. You need a community. So there will probably be, a whole lot of prayer. There will be those who will organize uh, for protection of the common. Yeah, that's correct. Like-minded people and, and communities. Does it turn into sort of a Mad Max world outside of that? Yes. And you're uh, you're going to leave, aren't you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody wanted to book passage with you, are you taking a group with you, or are you going by yourself? Nope, uh, I'm uh, going. Uh, I'll meet other people um, as they as they filter in. So there are certain people that you are expecting to be with you. That's correct. In one of these isolated, uh, protected areas. Basically, yes. Well, I can't say I blame you. Uh, are you up for a few questions from the audience? I am, but I want to talk about one more uh, source of uh, protein that is guaranteed, uh, and, and then I'll do that. All right. Um, chlorella and apparently something more. Stay tuned. That's next. This is Coast to Coast AM. We were going to talk about protein. Chlorella is one thing that will grow when nothing else will, which is coming soon. You mentioned there was a second source. Chlorella has all the essential amino acids that we need uh, to stay alive, all of them, and it's very healthy, um, I might add. But it only has about 2 to 3% protein, mm-hmm. and that therein lies the problem. But we, there is something else that is a guaranteed food source in the out years that supplies plenty of protein. And you're not going to want to hear this, but uh, it, nevertheless, it's there. And I want people to remember this. Earthworms. <sighs> They're not very palatable. In fact, I've seen menus called... Uh, incorporating it into what has been termed a surprise pie and other things. Oh, yeah, I can imagine sort of a chlorella pie laced with earthworms. <laughs> well, they, they, they're very uh, fecund, uh, very, I was going to say fertile, uh, no pun intended, but they eat anything, any organic material, all waste, including human waste. They are super recyclers, and they multiply like mad. So this yep. worm of the earth has all the protein that you, that you need. And it, it'll be there. It'll be there, and you don't have. And you just have to prepare the ground the right way. <laughs> and when uh, it all goes to to hell in a handbasket, yes. and there's nothing left to eat, if you've got a good uh, menu um, for these, and there are some out there, by the way. Um, How do you prepare a worm in any taste-worthy manner? I don't know, Art. I've seen these. Uh, <laughs> these uh, all we know is, as we mow viewers. That's one of the things that's there. Yeah, actually, it does make sense. I mean, they live in the earth, so they would. uh, You'd just be better to go out and throw your arms up and say, "Lord, take me now." It's that or chlorella and worms. Well, there'd be no. There'd probably be no fish, so you have to use earthworms or something. Uh, As a matter of fact, fish are already in trouble, and I guess you know about this hysteria business, closing waterways now in Maryland, of all places. Mm -hmm. And um, it appears as though hysteria is 
something that lays at the bottom of the ocean and awaits the proper pollutants, which I guess it is now receiving because it's activating, leaving lesions, uh, bloody lesions on fish, and now human beings, too. They are learning this is now affecting human beings. So, you know, Ed, you're saying a lot of things that a lot of people don't want to hear, and that makes them angry. But what I want them to remember, and I know how angry uh, uh, people become when, when they hear this, what I want them to remember is in the out years, when they look around and there's very few things left to eat, remember what I said about earthworms and chlorella, this green algae, and these earthworms will keep you alive. If you have other problems and you don't know what the source of the problem is, then I would advise you to learn technical remote viewing today. As there, fast as you can. There would not be enough protein then in chlorella to keep you alive properly over a long period. There would be if you ate a lot of it uh, each day. You'd have to have big cakes like uh, those Salian green type of uh, cakes that we saw in the movie. And I, in fact, I, I think that that idea filtered down from collective to the writer's mind when he made the movie, uh, wrote the movie Salian green. Well, I'll tell you this. I'd eat a lot of chlorella before my first worm. Well, you don't know. I've heard that actually uh, people who try these things like surprise pie, that's one of the, the names of uh, a recipe that I've heard. <laughs> evidently, it's its fairly palatable, but I, I do not know how they make it palatable uh, right now. I guess I'll research it's it. It's just the idea of it. I mean, if you really didn't know, but, but the problem is you would know. Well, art, pond scum, pond scum and earthworms. That's pond what we're talking scum. about here. Pond scum. Well, that's what chlorella is, really. Yes, freshwater algae with a big central nucleus that can repair its uh, damage uh, really easily. Well, I can I can stomach that, really. Chlorella is something that I can just barely stomach and imagine I would eat before I'd starve. Earthworms, marginal, but maybe. All right, let's, let's try a few questions. It's going to lead us, I'm sure, back to places we've already been. Um, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Major Ed Dane. Hello. Uh, good evening, Art. Good morning, Art. Uh, hi, Ed. How you doing? Pushing my uh, VIP button as I should have. Ed, are you there? I'm here. All right, let's try it again. Now, uh, this gentleman uh, calling from where, please? I'm in Las Vegas. Too. All right. Uh, you're on the air now with Ed. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Art. Uh, hi, Ed. Hi. Uh, yeah, uh, first of all, I want to tell Art real quick. Uh, the first hour you were on, uh, 40 minutes of your show didn't come through here in Las Vegas. I am aware of that. Okay. Um, they had, you know, transmitter troubles or something. But or, uh, uh, what I what I did will re-air, uh, obviously, uh, I think in Las Vegas between 3 and 4. Right. Okay, great. Um, uh, I wanted to know, Ed, since I'm a remote sensor, which is a naturally born remote sensor, uh, what your opinion is on remote sensors since we don't base any of our opinions off uh, large-scale, technological, military-funded uh, type uh, psycho, psychic cohesiveness, but we nonetheless can't predict things, and we try to warn people of them. At least we, or I would like to think we do. All right, but uh, the question, Ed, is reliability, isn't it? Well, he's a natural psychic, or people like that are, are natural psychics, and uh, they, they're born uh, to the right on the bell curve in, in terms of, uh, of, of getting data, but they're not consistent. And for, for, for military purposes and for life or death and uh, life or death circumstances, we had to have a tool that was on, dead on, all the time, every time. And 
natural psychics were not consistent enough for us to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, when we train in psychic, when we train a natural psychic, if they tell the line, they not only become professionals, but they can become superstars. Uh, here's a pretty good question for you. The man I just spent, uh, I thought, saying goodbye to because I thought he was leaving, Daniel Brinkley, he is not a natural psychic, but became one when he was struck by lightning. Now, all of this is well documented, Ed. There's absolutely no question about it. I mean, the guy's uh, shoes, the nails in his shoes were riveted to the floor. He was on fire. It disrupted his body to this very day. I mean, terribly. He walked with crutches for a month and months or even years, really. And he became psychic after this occurrence. And this does occur. That's a different kind of psychic, isn't it? Some are born natural psychics. Others seem to have something traumatic that occurs to them that makes them psychic. That's correct. There are some famous cases along these lines besides Daniel. Uh, Peter Herkos, the Dutch painter, fell off the scaffold in his head is a, is a case in point. When I was in the uh, Pentagon, I got a lot of the uh, net letters that uh, were sent to the Pentagon and, and along these lines, and there was an individual, a young man, who was institutionalized by his father uh, about uh, twice a year with paranoid uh, uh, schizophrenia. And uh, he would write us letters and, and talk about secret projects that uh, that were going on in various places, and he was dead on. But that was only, he was only dead on and very accurate during those bouts of paranoid schizophrenia. I would have to subject each one of these cases to technical remote viewing to determine the causal factors that are behind that to understand why. And we have not done that. Okay. Here's to the Rockies. You're on the air with Major Eddie. Hi. Hello, how are you? Fine. I'd like to ask the Major something first. I have a couple of comments and questions. Uh, uh, speaking specifically about the last incident you described about the young man, I had something that happened to me uh, one morning in my home in my small town. And um, Where are you, by the way? I'm in Louisiana, and I'm originally from a small place called Mamu. Okay. And uh, I was getting into an argument with my parents. So I decided to just walk around the block and do a little bit of prayer and meditation. And I saw this beautiful, fabulous sunrise. And I began to... These words came out of my mouth saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord. God of power and, and might, heaven and earth are full of your beauty. And I, I didn't expect anything to happen. And I got back and I noticed as I walked towards my home, there was something falling out of the air. And I caught it. And the moment I it fell into my hands and I looked at it, I knew what it was. And it was manna. And I can describe it. I can tell it. I can tell you what it tastes like, what it looks like. Um, I even had two witnesses who saw it. Uh, well, that's like mana of the Bible. Um, Ed, it, I'll tell you what question it brings to mind, and that is prayer. I I, I should ask you about prayer. Uh, they've done a lot of uh, interesting work. Uh, Ed with prayer, and there was uh, CNN was running a series last week, uh, much like this gentleman was talking about, 
not specifically, but much like it. And there was a physician on there, and he was saying there is absolutely no question about the power of prayer. Now, he working. Now, he suggested that it may well be like, um, you know, the sugar pills that people are getting, uh, getting placebos, uh, that they work 70% or 80% of the time. Placebo will actually work to cure a physical ill. So he said, you know, it may not matter what you have faith in. The key word is faith. Is that why the power of prayer works, Ed, or do you imagine there to be more to it than that? I'm not certain how it works. The factors, the spiritual mind factors and one's connection and all, I, I, I don't know. Personally, I just know how powerful it is, a whole lot more powerful than uh, remote viewing. And uh, as you might know, there's there's two, we, we recognize two types of prayer, generally speaking, intercessors. Way, the thing that we're, we're, many of us are, are doing for your friend right now as he lays in the hospital, and petitionary prayer, the kind of prayer we do for ourselves. And uh, it's just a very powerful thing, Art, and it's a whole lot more powerful than, than what I deal with in, in my business. But it's very personal. That's quite a statement to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm surprised to hear you making that. In fact, uh, on what basis do you make that? You, you can't engage in technically remote viewing for a long time without becoming very, very aware that there's something greater up there that you're, it's, this isn't, that you're, you're starting to scaffold your way into. And then you realize that, whoa, this is just a stepping stone to something bigger. And the something bigger is, is a very, is a very, very spiritual environment. I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. What's the, you know, we die and our souls leave. They go somewhere. This place is a big garden, uh, this thing that we're destroying, that's getting help, outside help now. And there's souls being harvested here. We're very much like flower heads that are cut and harvested, or ears of corn, our bodies, or, or the rest of the green stuff just goes back to fallow. And our minds kind of slough off, and, and the energy there dissipates. But these souls, are they're harvested. And, and we hesitate to use the G word a lot. Uh, especially us technocrats uh, like me, but uh, that's that's what's leading this planet. Do you have any idea of the nature of souls? In other words, um, when we die, whether in fact we lead multiple lives, as in reincarnation, or whether our experience here on Earth is a one-time affair. Any any uh, thoughts on the nature of the soul? Looks like it's a one-time affair. One-time affair, one time. Affair, one time, a one time affair. This idea about past lives, uh, as remote viewers, we tune into the idea of a past life. It's like just that. We're tuning into a life that's like ours, like a kind of radio dial. I think I may have talked to you about this before, where our personalities may be very, very much like someone in the past who has lived. That their the template or the mold of personality may be so similar that we actually tune into that on the radio band, so to speak. For instance, two, two AM radio stations can share the same frequency, and you can hear both of them. Okay, is this a, an opinion that comes from Ed Dames, or is this a, some sort of result of remote viewing? It's, it's both. It's, it's both. not a locked-in thing. I don't hang my hat on it, but the evidence that we have uh, to, to date, it's in the area of uh, continuity of consciousness. 
see, we, we don't have chain of custody on the soul when it leaves. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Hold on, Ed. We're at a break point. We'll be right back. My guest is Major Ed Dane. This is Coast to Coast AM. Major Ed Dames. Major, are you there? Still here. Good. Well, let's see who wants to kill the messenger and who wants to just ask good questions. Uh, what's the Rockies? You're on the air with Major Ed Dames. Hi. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. This is Dave in Fresno, a first-time caller. Hi, Dave. Hi. Uh, I was curious, uh, will the spores in this inbound cylinder have any possible negative impact on humans or animals? <laughs> it doesn't appear so. Here's like you could stand right next to the the impact crater. In fact, we have uh, sketches of individuals in the impact crater, um, generally having fun. And uh, there is no, there is, uh, there's zero impact on on uh, mammals and animals directly. Yeah, it appears to be uh, nitrogen fixing plants. Huh, that's interesting. And about the phoenix lights, uh, something. I've been thinking about, could it possibly have been something that was out of phase with a slightly, just enough for it not to have any radar contact? Now, uh, as far as we're concerned, no. We, you know, we stand by our work, our, our commercial work, the same way uh, we stand by uh, this. It was uh, uh, UV, UV uh, lasers, and, uh, and that's it. Interesting. Okay, 73, Zart. Uh, get some sleep. Take care. Thank you. Uh, on the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Major Ed Dane. Fine. Hello, Art. Hello. Where are you? Fine. This is Marty calling from Oakland, New Jersey. How are you this morning? Just fine. Um, earlier on, your guest, uh, the Major, alluded to a couple of things. One was the Earth's magnetic field, and the other thing he alluded to were these incredible droughts taking place in North Korea, New Guinea, while other places on the globe are now receiving as much rainfall in three days as they normally get in an entire year. Uh, about 15 years ago, there was a story in the news stating that the United States government was going to loan to the Soviet Union two uh, machines known as geomagnetic weather modification units. Uh, these are machines that uh, allegedly generate an electromagnetic field 100,000 times more powerful than the Earth's magnetic field. And what these machines do is they use electromagnetic energy to alter regional weather patterns. And the purpose of this loan was to extend the Soviet wheat growing season. Uh, can your guest comment at all about the existence of these machines and the possible effects they're having on the global climate? All right. I don't know anything about the machines. I do know about uh, some exchanges that were uh, along the lines of weather modification, but they had nothing to do with uh, uh, geomagnetic uh, field alterations. Um, they were with, uh, in fact, we even uh, had a corroboration, corroborating uh, project with the Chinese, and they dealt with uh, cloud seeding, that's all. Uh-huh. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, thank you very much for the call. Uh, cloud seeding, do you know of any other... Uh, weather experimentation that's been done, Ed, besides the seeding of clouds? Yes, but it's based upon uh, classified work art, and I, I can't talk about it. Uh, it's uh, particularly uh, in the erstwhile uh, Soviet Union. Okay. Um, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Major Ed Dane. Hi. Hi, uh, this is Dan in Virginia. Yes, sir. Ed, you're doing a, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Art, you're doing a great job. Seems like you got a second wind, and when you do something you love, uh, it energizes you. That's how it works. <laughs> so, uh, I have two questions for Ed. 
Ed, uh, have you noticed a change in the Schumann frequency? I think about two years ago it was around eight cycles per second. And now supposedly it's up around about 12 and a half. And I wondered if that influences your uh, remote viewing because when you do meditation, you try to get the body tied in with the Schumann frequency or the Earth heartbeat. We've never, uh, uh, using Faraday shields over the years, movemental, everything, we've never had any uh, deleterious effects uh, uh, in changing magnetic fields okay. on, our, on our remote viewing. Uh, the second question is, uh, do you have any idea of what's happening with all these uh, plane crashes, uh, military plane crashes uh, in the last few days? There's one that just disintegrated at an air show out here in Maryland. It's just like some kind of shockwave hit it and it fell apart. Yeah, that was very odd. Are you referring to the uh, Stealth 117? Yep. Yep. Very, very odd indeed. Uh, and I, I would imagine, Ed, you've not had time to do any work on that yet, but boy, that'd be one to... No, nor have we had a, a reason. I mean, it strikes me as synchronicity, but um, that isn't anything that would spark my, my interest uh, as much as, say, uh, other anomalies. Um, what do you like to do these days, by the way? I like to research the soul. And that's a good one, all right. Mm -hmm. That's a good one, all right. Can you really reach far enough with remote viewing uh, to get the real answers about our soul? We can get a lot of uh, data uh, as as long as we connect the data with with an existing person. That is a person uh, here, a, a physical person in a material life. Then we can get data on the soul. Once we once an individual, a target individual, uh, dies, then uh, we, we, we can't locate the soul any longer. So we research uh, living individuals and their souls. Should remote viewing be able to follow a soul past death? I don't think it can do that. My, my vice president, John Dwork, has an excellent uh, uh, theory and a lecture on, on this, this very same topic. And she suggests that the, that we that the soul is in another sort of a dimension, and because we're in this dimension and it's in another, there's there's a there's a discontinuation. There's no way to effectively uh, take. There's no correspondence between information from that dimension to this one here. Um, so what would you say then of people, psychics, and so forth, who claim they can communicate with departed souls. Well, I, 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 I have to say, uh, I, I just don't accept that uh, from from my perspective. I mean, I don't have all the answers by any means, but I can't accept that based upon my own experience. Uh, fair, no, that's fair enough. You to the Rockies. You're on the air with Major Ed Dames. Hi. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Where are you? Uh, San Antonio, Texas. My name is Pat. Hi, Pat. Uh, I've got two questions. Um, I did not hear a time frame as far as the uh, nuclear device being detonated in Korea. That's because he said he doesn't yet have that. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I missed that. Uh, and also, curious, uh, several times, Ed, you've mentioned that uh, living underground would only be uh, suitable in the future. Uh, is that because structures won't be able to handle the climate changes, or what is the specific reason for that? 
I don't remember. Uh, let's see, I didn't mention that it would only be suitable in the future. I said that we would have to be living underground in the future or below ground uh, for because of uh, uh, winds, very high winds, and uh, because of ionizing radiation during the day. So no structures will be able to protect you from the radiation? Uh, structures will be able to do that, but, uh, but the high winds will require very, very, uh, solid structures. And therefore, it's much easier to build underground than it is above ground. Some areas will experience ex exceedingly high winds, cyclonic, uh, uh, winds in areas that have never had cyclones before. Extra tropical cyclonic winds. Mm. Alright, well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the, uh, the call. Wildcard line, you're on the air with Major Ed Dames. Hello. Oh, they just gave up. First time caller line, you're on the air with Major Dames. Hi. Hi, Evan from Jackson. Jackson, Mississippi. Mississippi, all right. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to comment on, uh, on CNN back in March when they had a report on the uh, incident in Phoenix. Uh, there was more than just reports on the light. There were reports on, uh, the V-shaped craft, almost, uh, I believe the kid described it as like a mirage-like object that he can... Well, actually, there were all kinds of reports. There right. were people who saw a solid craft. There were people who saw no stars between the lights. There were right. others who thought they heard a hum. There are a variety of reports. But remember now, with any given incident, like a robbery or something that occurs that's very dramatic, you're inevitably going to get eyewitnesses telling a million different stories. Well, what I was going to say was that uh, the way the kid described the V-shaped craft as it being mirage-like and silent and low-flying was identical to a, a craft that I saw back in October before any reports of any craft came up. And I, as a matter of fact, I sent you an email about it. Uh, if you look back, an email from, uh, I'm not going to give out the address, but it has the word spike in the address. I described exactly what that kid described and his family described. Mm. And I was just wondering if Mr. Dames could comment on that. We have targeted those lights. If you look at those lights, some of them are elongated and other, and uh, other photos are shorter. So it's, 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 it's really pretty apparent that if something has uh, lights on the bottom of it, uh, that thing, at least in March uh, 13th and 18th in Phoenix, um, it had different lights, uh, different fuzzy images. And there was nothing in the sky. There was nothing on radar. There was nothing visual outside of those fuzzy, glowing, what in the um, uh, laser light show arena is called uh, Lumia. That's it. Lumia. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the made-to-order event that you can order a laser light show uh, company to, to make for you. That's one of the effects. So I, could, I, I could order one for Perump. You could order one for Perump. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Major Ed Dane. Hi. Hi. Hello. Where are you? Um, Tucson, Arizona. Okay. Uh, oh, you've got your radio on. Turn that off. Okay. There you go. Very important. Go right ahead. Okay. Go. Hello? Yes. Go, 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 go. Yes. I wanted to uh, talk to the, uh, the Major. Yes. And just about, uh, I've had very many uh, psychic experiences. But they tend to be um, around the idea or, or the, the subject of being able to sense and experience the presence of good and evil. And I wondered if in any of his experiences that he, if he, if he had any of those types of encounters. Oh, a very good question. Ed, um, 
What about the subject of good as in God and evil as in the devil? We've, we've talked about this briefly in, in earlier shows. The only time I've run up uh, and, uh, against something like that where I could uh, conclusively say, I think this is evil, is in the case of uh, working the topical search, the broad generic term, using uh, technical remote viewing uh, of Satan and um, yes. the false prophet, which is a very scary one. And in those two instances... I can pretty much conclusively say I was up against something that we, uh, any reasonable person would call evil. When you work Satan as a remote viewing topic, and any of you uh, folks who learn remote viewing, I would advise you to stay away from this one because you won't like the results. It deals with torturing and killing children, and you'll get various instances of that against that search term. The one, uh, the topical search on the false prophet is, uh, is very interesting indeed. Would that be the Antichrist? No, the Antichrist is a field effect. It's not an individual, whereas the false prophet is, let's call it the objectification of the Antichrist in terms of a, a, I don't want to call it a person. It looks like a person, but it's not. Well, what do you mean by a field effect? Field effect would be, uh, think of of when we refer to the spiritual, spiritual side of things. Right. The idea of spirit. Is, is like a radio uh, field, radio waves. It, it, it permeates everything, everywhere, right. that idea of spirit. The idea of Christ and Antichrist are field effects also. But the idea of Satan, or let's say uh, Jesus of Nazareth, those are real people, you know, uh, juxtaposed in time, space, in very interesting ways. Mm-hmm. But, they're, but they're, they're flesh and blood manifestations of an idea. Huh. That's remarkable. Um, Higher level uh, search term. So, so when you go and, and you look at the devil or pure evil, uh, it, it's something you would not recommend people do. Now, you've got a lot of tapes out there and a lot of people are going to be able to remote view. You wouldn't recommend that as one of the early targets. No, I certainly would not. Nope. Is there danger for a person. Now we've we've talked about this before. And you've generally said there is not danger in remote viewing. There isn't any danger per se, but it, there's a responsibility that comes with information. I mean, it's it's if, for instance, one were to remote view a murder and yeah. now know where and who the murderer is. Yes. What kind of responsibility do you have? I mean, morally and ethically, uh, to do that. I, I know of a number of different uh, murder cases where um, a husband or a son, for instance, was a victim, and yet SciTech or uh, or SciTech remote viewers working independently discovered that the husband uh, or son was involved in organized crime or something else. Yeah. What do you do with information? In, in other words, personal choice are. You make a personal decision, uh, yes or no, on, on what to do. It, it all boils down to personal ethics and morals. That, that could be a lot to carry. And there's a lot of things uh, that are a lot to carry out there, yeah. But I, I think that uh, 
again, the more balanced, we find that the more balanced an individual is, physically, emotionally, intellectually, and, and, and intuitively, if you've got that degree of balance, you're okay on all those fronts. Listen, what is the phone number? I want to give you a chance to make you plug your uh, TRV tapes. Uh, it's, it's, there are two numbers, right? If you want to learn this, we have, we have TRV modules out there. And uh, our, U, our U.S. number is 1-800-556-0391. And for you Canadians, it's 1-888-878-0333. And, of course, we can be reached on the World Wide Web. And there's technical support at all times on the web, uh, on our bulletin board and in our chat rooms. We have SciTech staff and myself on the bulletin board. Uh, handling and uh, all of your technical questions. Okay, module one is available now. Yes, it's out there. A lot of people are using it. Uh, rave reviews. Oh yes, I know, and it should get rave reviews. The production is superb. I have it. I know. Uh, module two. When does that come? Module two is uh, final editing and beta testing at the uh, at the end of this month and on the streets uh, early October. Illuminated uh, production and uh, full production in November. Mm. Uh, what, where will Module 2 take people from where Module 1 took them? It is, module 2 is a four-tape set, and it is virtually all the skills they will need to know to solve problems that are uh, quite difficult uh, in nature. Uh, to be able to remote view, to be able to gain data, accurate data on a person, a place, a thing, or an event, and in some cases, a topic, for instance, something like... Uh, the cure or the cause for AIDS, uh-huh. um, and uh, we teach we teach you how to do that. What is your What is your best guess uh, about what might occur if there were suddenly millions of remote viewers out there? What What effect socially, social, uh, uh, worldwide, would that have? I don't know. I really don't know. Things are moving too fast, Art, for me to be able to do that. Uh, one thing I've noticed is that a a very skilled remote viewer um, does not need faith anymore, which is a very uh, profound thing. They begin to have absolute trust in the universe. You see things, they, they become very trusting in the grand scheme of things. Um, en masse, what kind of effects we're looking at, I don't no, know. In other words, you're saying that people are able to convert what required faith to absolute knowledge. Yeah. And, that, and and they move on to absolute trust. Ooh, that's that's pretty neat. Uh, all right, you're hanging on for the final hour? If you want me to. I do, I do, I do. All right, stay right where you are. Remember, folks, you don't want to go look at the devil. Not first thing, anyway. I'm... Hi. Hi, how you doing, Art? All right. You know, I'm, I'm fairly young, and I've, uh, you know, obviously I'm a first-time caller, and uh, I'm not too sure I understand uh, the concept of what you're talking here. It sounds almost like... Uh, prophecy or something like that but i'm just kind of uh concerned like how would something like this affect uh in the most part or for the most part uh, the younger people like i'm talking the real young people the youth what's the concern there and um, my second point is as far as the food stores which you're talking about earlier i've uh come from a real small area here in new mexico in a wide open land small town and we've buried several uh, like military food items in the ground for emergencies and stuff like that. And is that what you're talking about? Well, how long have you been listening tonight? Um, pretty much the whole time. Pretty I much the whole time. All right. Well, 
Remote viewing, uh, we gave a brief explanation at the beginning of the program. But as far as the future is concerned, uh, here's a fact that might help you out. Art, we are going to convert our little bakery up here in Seattle to a worm farm. And we're going to be your next sponsor. Absolutely fresh worms, hand-plucked from our dirt to your door overnight for one low price. Fred and Mike, listening to Coma. Now, I was just kidding. Your question is quite serious, Ed. For the young people out there, if there are any up listening and worrying, uh, how old are you? I'm 26. 26. What I was kind of uh, thinking about is more like, you know, teens and, and stuff like that, even though they might not be listening. I mean, what, what is the concern with them? No, it's really a good question, Ed. Well, my stepdaughter is 15. My son is 15. My youngest son is 13. My youngest son uh, wants to learn remote viewing and uh, and has been. The two 15-year-olds, uh, they know the kind of information that I'm putting out tonight. They, they're aware that I do that. I'm in uh, the, the unfortunate position to have to, on the one hand, try to convince them that they should stay in school and study hard, and on the other hand, knowing that they're going to have to dig in in the next couple of years. Uh, they're in the unfortunate position of having restless nights wondering, uh, and nightmares. So, it's hard all the way around. I don't know what to say about it. Uh, what about advice to parents of these children? Um, any, any words of, uh, advice for them? It's, it's a personal decision, Art. They, you know, I, I've talked to parents about, uh, who, who are remote viewers and, and know that this works. And again, personal decision. What do you do with the information? Do you, you could stick your head in the sand or, you know, pull your neck in and pretend like uh, nothing's happening. Uh, but if you don't do that and you're aware that something is happening, for instance, here's a 26-year-old man who's bur buried uh, food in the ground, C-rations or K-rations or something like that. Something told him to do that. Maybe it was an insurance policy. You know? uh, but there's, some, there, there's something out there. People smell this coming. You can either choose to ignore it or choose to pay attention to it. Uh -huh. One way or another, it's, it's very troublesome. You know, Ed, uh, certainly it's going to be true that there are some people who are better off not knowing, aren't there? I believe so, yes. Not everybody's a fighter. Not everybody's going to eat uh, chlorella and worms and do whatever it takes to stay alive, nor are they going to want to. And they're just better off, some of them, not knowing. I, I agree with that. That's a, that's a hard, harsh statement, but I believe it's true, personally. Uh, West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Major Ed Danes. Hi. Hello, this is Glenn. I'm speaking to you from Kennewick, Tri-Cities, Washington. There. Yes. And I'm very pleased to have uh, gotten in touch with you. I've got both your books. And my name is spelled like uh, Lynn Whitlick, spelled his first name. <laughs> All right. But anyway, um, my question is, um, is there any way for us to see this object, this cylindrical object coming toward us? And so there's a way to extrapolate the, the direction from where it come from if it's with respect to that, uh, or why, or why not extrapolate and ask if there's any way to stop it? Well, that may be a good question too. Yeah. All right, Ed. Uh, could anybody see it coming? I have a pretty good, uh, feeling that, uh, NORAD will pick it up, uh, coming in. Um, uh, we're not exactly sure how large it is. We haven't done any target geometries on it. That's one way to use remote viewing. A target geometry is to establish uh, a size and sh as well as shape. Uh, 
we have not done that. But um, it's it's going to at least be as big as a, a boloid as it comes in. And I, I, I've got a sneaking suspicion that Neurite will pick it up. Stopping it, you know, who are we kidding? Uh, what are we, we're, right now we're talking beyond science fiction and fantasy, so that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there you go, caller. Well, yeah, thank you very much. Also, uh, people can listen to your program when they get connected, so you can turn the radio off at any time. <laughs> that's right. All right, thank you. Uh, take care. Um, all right, here's a pretty good question for you, Ed. All right, what kind of track record does Ed Dames or his remote viewers have in terms of predicting future probabilities? Please ask them to be as specific as possible about what they have predicted and what they have been on target about. In other words, your track record. I think the uh, first thing to understand is that in, in terms of predicting and, and crystal ball stuff, like, like this. We're not doing that. We're extracting information that already exists as a hundred percent likelihood somewhere in, a, in, a, in another domain. In this, in this, um, in this case, the collective unconscious. If you, if you look at our website and, and then, in the uh, uh, on the website, we have examples of our work and the TW800 uh, Flight 800 uh, work that we have uh, shows the work that we've done to indicate what part of the aircraft broke and how it initiated a, a sequence of events. Um, the uh, the frogs, the deformed frogs, although those frogs that that information could have been derived from open source literature. That was a, a, an example of technical remote viewing done in in-house at SciTech uh, as a milestone, as a mile marker to predict um, the, the, the collapse of, of uh, ecological collapse on, on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to think back, but I think the best examples we have are on our website, and they deal not necessarily with the future, because we've only been around publicly for about four years. Sounds uh, about right. Yeah, we did work for Fortune 500 companies quietly for the first uh, five years of the company's existence. So most of our, our open source work has only been in the last four years or so. Okay, but in that time, if you look at the major projects that you have engaged in at SciTech, what would the record look like? In terms of future stuff, sure. Not it, mostly uh, generic global global stuff, generic global ecological things. That's one of the reasons I'm sending you that envelope uh, that uh, I want you to notarize. It details the death of a, a U.S. leader. I will uh, do that next year. Depending on it, I will so do our, it. Our track record is good with regard to, as you look on the website, with regard to uh, high visibility projects like uh, the uh, like murders and uh, disasters. But we don't have much of a track record yet on on future stuff. All right. Uh, hi, Art. Ask Major Dames if he sees the government in Washington relocating elsewhere during this two to four year problem, Mad Max problem time. I don't have any information on that. It, it, that's not something we've targeted. Although we have looked at the death of a, uh, a U.S. leader, and um, we've, we really have concentrated on that. And that's a, as a result of, uh, let's say, let's call it an act of God. Natural causes. 
I wonder if the somewhat less than amazing Randy would consider the uh, sealed envelope notarized to be a good test. Probably not. I mean, if you think about it, uh, I've been engaging in some uh, amazing Randy stuff tonight, vis-a-vis the Phoenix Lights. It's the kind of stuff... Uh, you have, it's yeah, true. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's absolutely true. Um, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Major Ed Danes. Hi. Hello there. Running once, twice, three times, gone. That's one more than I usually give him. First time caller line, you're on the air with Major Ed Danes. Hi. Hi. Um, Where are you, sir? I'm in California. All right, go ahead. Um, well, um, I had a couple questions in regards to... Um, you're going to have to speak up. Well, I had a couple questions in regards to, um, you know, the project uh, LUCID, you know, which pertains to um, uh, basically... Um, you know, ID cards being implanted in, you know... I, I, I can't even hear you, sir. Something about ID cards? Uh, yeah. So basically, um, I was wondering, basically, if, uh, if, uh, Major Ed can possibly, um, or has possibly viewed, uh, Project L-U-C-I-D, um... Uh, Project can... Lucid? Have you ever heard of that, Ed? Uh, no. Uh, I haven't. Uh, basically pertains to, um devices or implants in uh, children and uh, possibly, you know, humans in, in, the, in the near future. Um, and if that is all, or if that is a real... Um, you're talking about impl- you're, you're talking about implants, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, Ed, do you know anything about implants? Everybody's always worried about implants. The government shall implant us with this and that. Uh, no, I, I know about uh, some work that the French have done in implanting uh, credit cards, uh, miniature credit cards, in the, under the skin uh, and the wrist area. But other than that, no. Really? The mm-hmm. French have actually done some of that? Yeah, uh, on the, in the French Riviera. It's uh, very convenient. You don't have to, you can, you can, you don't have to walk around with a wallet. You can uh, slide your hand in the scanner and charge your uh, drink or something like that. But it would be somewhat painful converting from gold to platinum, wouldn't it? I mean, one's got to come out, the other's got to go in. No, that was a joke, Ed. I went over my head. East of the Rockies, uh, you're on the air with Major Ed Dane. Hi. Hello there. Going once, going twice, gone. Close to the Rockies, you're on the air with Major Ed Dane. Hi. Hey, Art, it's Kevin. Yes, sir. Uh, I've been calling you for a while now. I'm calling from Glenwood Springs, Colorado. Okay. Hey, uh, well, I've been trained, uh, extensively in survival, and, uh, I've done a lot of, uh, remote viewing over the years of my own independently. And I've done a lot of research into, well, all the world religions and a lot of prophetic aspects of it. And I'm listening to what he's saying, and, uh, a lot of it, I can, I can go, go right along with. Uh, it's a little more vague than, uh, what's actually available to me and my sources. Um, and uh, I was just wondering if he had, uh, he would consider uh, New York uh, being the most likely uh, target as per a guest you had on a few years back who made several predictions about New York and yeah, each one of them was, uh, was, was accurate right down to the day. 
I don't. I have not targeted New York as a geographical location on a trajectory. That's what we would do: a place or a person, enterprise, or a group of people. Oh, okay. We could subject to a timeline. In other words, we look at the trajectory of, of in terms of state-space analysis. So apply technical remote viewing to a thing or a place. Look at it in time. Uh, mark the significant changes and go in and explore each change. We haven't done that in New York City. Oh, okay. Because we're we're looking at. Uh what we're looking at is uh, possibly one of these uh, backpack bombs being transported into New York. And it could very well be, but the first one's going to pop on the Korean Peninsula, and the second one's going to go on the Iberian Peninsula. After that, uh, don't know. Okay, well, we'll we'll, we'll see. I, I believe it's going to be New York, and it's going to probably be within the next uh, probably within the next 24 months. All right, thank you very much. Uh, there is an old. Uh uh, there is another remote viewer who's been saying this for some time, uh, Ed, as you well know, I don't need to name him, you know who he is, mm -hmm. that New York uh, would be the target and that it would be fairly soon. That was one of my errant students. Uh -huh. I, I know about this. Uh -huh. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Major Ed Dames. Hi. Good morning, Art and Ed. How are you? Just fine. Fine. Good. Ed, you were talking about a like-minded community. That was very interesting to me. Um, is this a community that's um, already in existence that you're going to meet up with, or are they going to meet up with you? Well, my point was simply that uh, we're not going to be able to make it alone through the hard times for as, as, for as, as long as the hard times are gonna, going to be in place. It's going to take communities, uh, communities of, of like-minded people in order to survive. I think what it's going to be is the start of, I know this sounds religious, the first nation of God on earth, after all these changes, the only people that are really going to be left that are actually going to survive all this stuff are going to be those kind of people. I don't know if you remember, Art, you had a guy on um, Dreamland earlier in the year, um, Richard Noon, about 5-5-2000. Oh, yes. Right, he talked about the Adelphi organization. You were asking, how are you going to survive all these things? And he's talking about the group that was going to go up in those pressurized blimps. Right. Right. Um, do you know anything about them, either of you? It's called the Adelphi Organization. It's headed by Richard Kineger. Well, I've heard of them. I have not. Very interesting group. It's a good group to remote view. <laughs> very interesting, very special group of people. Well, uh, according to Ed, I would think uh, a blimp would not be a place you'd want to be. He's saying you need to be underground, right, Ed? Well, if uh, if you're in the wind, then you have no wind to blow uh, past you because you're in the wind current. You, you, you know that. If you're in a, uh, a balloon, then uh, there is no wind speed. You're in the wind. That's the wind true. is blowing you. So you're not subject to the kinds of winds that you're subject to if you're stationary. So that might be an idea. Interesting idea, huh? You're in position, and let me push this button. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Am I on? You're on. Okay. Where are you? I'm in Mobile, Alabama. All right. And I have two questions, if I may. The first question is for both of you. Okay. Um, because if you have heard of this man, or even if you haven't, <laughs> I'd like if perhaps you could get him on as a guest, maybe in sometime in the near future. Uh, have either of you heard of Dr. Carl Baugh, B-A-U-G-H? 
He is the director of Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas. And uh, I, I'm familiar with his organization. Okay. The reason I bring him up is because he speaks a lot about the Earth's electromagnetic field and some of the topics y'all have mentioned tonight. Yes. Um, as well as, you know, evidences for creation. But sure. I think that would be a very interesting show as well. Okay. And my question for the major is, he mentioned earlier what he got or viewed when he did remote viewing on Satan and the Antichrist. Yep. Uh, I was wondering if he's done it on God and also perhaps the person of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and what he got. Oh, yes. I can tell you the answer is yes. Uh, that was Jesus Christ, of course, would uh, would be a favorite. Obvious topic, right, Ed? Uh, Jesus Christ of the Nazareth. Jesus Christ, uh, as a technical remote viewing target, produces uh, an ideas. I don't want to get into the ideas right now, but Jesus of Nazareth as a as a, uh, a person, and then we get an individual. Uh, we use, um, for instance, uh, Jesus of Nazareth and the crucifixion as a training target. So we get to see a Roman, a centurion, and a lean-to uh, nailing uh, a person to a board. So. So you really get to see that? Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. That must be... Um... And uh, God, I, uh, as a matter of fact, yesterday as a, uh, I, I graduated a, uh, a Taoist priest and a Gong Fu master, and uh, his uh, blind, that is, he had no idea what the target was, his blind, uh, his blind graduation solo, was a two-hour solo, was uh, the, uh, the origin of God. Wow. Uh, all right. Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Major Ed Dames. Hi. Hi. Another great show, Art. Thank you. I've been glued to my radio. Good morning, Major Dames. Good morning. I have uh, oh, two or three questions. I'll go with as many as Art has time for. All right. Where are you, by the way? I'm in South Carolina. Okay. Uh, first thing I'd like to ask is, uh, where's the nearest place to me that might be suitable for living in the near future? Huh. Depends on the individuals we find. Uh, we, we hit the search term uh, sanctuary. We get, uh, as a technical remote-feeling search term, so we're going up into the collective unconscious. And uh, there are a number of different places on the planet that appear to be uh, fit those cri criteria. Uh, one is a Western, uh, actually Eastern um, British Columbia. Um, there are a couple of places in the Rockies. Uh, Switzerland, uh, a few places in Polynesia, and we haven't explored the topic thoroughly, but the, but all these places have one thing in common: they have caves. 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 Mm -hmm. Caves or lava tubes. Remember, keyword underground. Yes. Well, I don't think we have anything like that here in South Carolina. Then you need to dig. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a good idea. Um, you do have shovels in South Carolina. Oh, yes, we have those, and we may be using them soon. Um, I'd also like to ask that before the end of the show, if you'll give us your web address one more time. Uh, mine or Ed's? Oh, I'm sorry, I meant to say Ed's. Okay, well, um, we will do that, but if you'll go to my website and just go down to the scheduled guests, you'll see Ed's name there. Just oh, I'll be there for a few days. Uh, okay. Um, I won't be able to get a hold of it tonight. All right. All right. Well, it's there as an eternal link, I'm sure. Nevertheless, Ed, what is the address? www.trv-psi.org. 
T-E-C-H dot com. Uh, otherwise, we do have it as a as a regular link, so no problem, folks. Just go to www.artbell.com and you'll see Ed's. Uh, and again, we have a we have staff there all the time in chat rooms and bulletin boards assisting individuals who are learning TRP via the tapes. So there's there's always a presence there. Very good. All right, first time caller line. You're on the air with uh, Major Ed Dames. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi, this is Catherine from Hollywood, California. Hi, Catherine. How are you doing? Right down the road. Um, I had a couple of quick questions for Ed and then one for you too, Art. Okay. I was wondering, um, this interdimensional beings that weren't what they appeared to be, that your viewer, that the, the, um, gentleman called in, you know, the freaky caller that a couple did last week. Oh, yes. Well, he said they weren't what they appeared to be. Yes. Could that possibly be the idea of what Ed was speaking about, about this false prophet? This, like, individual that isn't what it appears to be? I mean, I know he said, kind of commented on, he, you'd either, I don't know whether you said, Ed, that you, you had remote viewed something to do with that, or you no, were going intending to. to? No, okay. intending to. Well, we're, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to use that individual as a jump off point to find out what, uh, what's behind that. You know, is this a kosher call or a crank call? And, but I'm particularly interested in, in the, the actual event of why uh, the plug was pulled on the show in conjunction with that very interesting call. So we want to get behind that. Only interdimensional beings that, that we're familiar with in terms of technical remote viewing are what the Navajo call uh, shapeshifters. And those are very, uh, those appear to be real things, real creatures. I don't want to talk a lot about them tonight. Okay, now that concept you were speaking about earlier about where you're saying that you didn't want people to remote view, I think it was the devil because of the images of torturing children or you said... It was the, uh, the actually we never remote viewed the, the idea of the devil, but we have remote viewed the topic of Satan. And when when we do that, each time we do, it's always a similar situation. It's not the same situation each time. The same point in the collective unconscious is well, a pattern. Well, kind of like the idea we had the proverbial idea of evil. Then I mean, is that you know what I'm saying? And when you when you talked about things like the torturing of children or these like horrific type things, I mean, is it maybe an all encompassing evil type concept and that's why it's not it's the same every time or it is the same scenario each time it is the same scenario children being tortured and killed so that's what that's what we're pulling down from the collective unconscious uh, when we go up against that search term of satan that's all i can say okay and art i wanted to find out i know you commented a little earlier on that you've got module one yourself Oh, yes. And I was wondering, um, you know, because I haven't ordered it yet. I, I do intend to, but I was wondering, did you have any experiences or, like, any opinion about it, like, other than you do believe, you know, you you put a lot of validity in it? I mean, what kind of experiences have you had so far? Have I remote viewed? Is that your yeah. question? No, I have not yet. Um, is that uh, I, I found the module to be incredibly informative, uh, incredibly well produced. Uh, the real meat of remote viewing will occur in the second module to meet of how to do it. Is it, Would that be a fair statement, Ed? The first one exposes you to the techniques and lets you know what it is and that you can do it and that it's real. But uh, the second one is the, are all the problem-solving tools. That's a four-tape set. Now, Ed, have you also remote viewed anything having to do with, um, I mean, this is a real worldly concept, so I don't really know if it would be something, but like the roles of men versus women, like is there any sort of... You know what I'm saying? I mean, something. only in one regard, only in one regard, and that is with regard to the idea of the Gaia concept. 
it appears that the male element on the planet is the extremely violent one and is what is causing a reaction in terms of Gaia, in terms of the, the uh, of, of Earth's response. And uh, you don't see women going around, you know, uh, in, in committing violent acts. It's the male element that is eliciting a response in some regard. Other than that, no. Okay, well, thank you so much. All right, thank you. I'll keep listening. All right, good. Uh, somebody asking... Um, again, about a shift in the magnetic field, uh, saying that you said you would explain it and how we could survive it. He never did explain it. Would you please ask him to explain it this evening? It, I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Uh, and, and it looks, we're getting something in 99. It's a very powerful global event that affects the entire Earth at once. It appears to be a collapsing magnetic field. But we are not exactly sure about that. We haven't paid a lot of attention to it. We're being overcome by events. And, uh, in fact, our company has dropped a cure for AIDS as a project. We're on to something, and uh, it was very important to us, and we dropped it completely because of, of events that are fast upon us. Oh, wow. So we're not looking out at 99 anymore. We're looking right here at at the end of 97 and 98. You're suggesting, in effect, that a cure for AIDS is somewhat academic? It's uh, it's doable, but uh, it is academic and, and now problematic because uh, we're, we're being overcome by events that are eclipsing things like that. As, as Today, what might seem an extremely important, significant thing for our company to be doing, we it's not even on the back burner anymore. We've dropped it. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Major Ed Dames. Hello. Hi, Art. Hi. Hello, Major Dames. Hi. Several times now he's been on the program, Major Dames has commented on economic collapse. Right. I uh, specifically use those terms, and we've never heard him elaborate. All right. Uh, my specific question is, <laughs> am I better off owning everything free and clear, or should I mortgage to the max? All right. Uh, that is an interesting question. Economic collapse, the market is roaring along, up and down, up and down, but basically uh, the economy is, I saw, I think I saw USA Today, the headline yesterday was sizzling. Uh how long will this sizzling continue? Until a confluence of events occurs early next year, late spring, actually. Until you have uh, a war in conjunction with uh, no food, in conjunction with disease. Disease to the point where many people do not show up for work. When those th three things begin to occur and occur concurrently, that's the beginning of a collapse. Either that. Or when Alan Greenspan says, boo. Uh, East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Major Ed Dames. Hi. Hi, Arpel, Major Dames. Yes. I uh, just had a couple quick questions. So the first one was uh, the pulse that uh, Major Dames referred to happening in 1999. Does he see that as a, a climax event, or is that uh, just a, a, a step in the series of progression, or what, what's the story there? It, we just call it discontinuity. It doesn't appear to, it's a break in, uh, in, in, in a number of things. It appears to be a ge geophysical moment in time and it appears to affect, uh, all humans at the same time. Other than that, I, I don't know what we're dealing with. 
And uh, again, we pulled our attention away from it on to the next uh, 14 months or so. And then I want to ask you also, uh, fasting. Do you have any experience uh, with fasting? Uh, not a eating? A little. And because uh, I know you had mentioned uh, corella and worms uh, as a food source, and I was wondering if you had any experience with uh Actually, that is a very interesting question. Fasting, uh, I would think, might be an aid to remote viewing. No, it isn't. In fact, it's exactly the opposite, at least right really? now, the way we do it. Uh, anything that is a physical inclemency that would interfere with the autonomic nervous system's response to the signal from the collective unconscious, yes. it's at particularly hunger of all things. If you are hungry, you are not going to be remote viewing because your body is saying, feed me. And you need that autonomic response as in stage one, when you first grab hold of this thought ball, this, this pattern of information as it exists, as a gestalt or sort of a compressed packet of information that you're going to decom decompress using remote viewing protocols. If you're hungry, your concentration, if this is a highly alert state, your concentration can't be on a task at hand. So fasting in terms of TRV uh, techniques, is uh, almost verboten hmm. in terms of health. That really is fascinating. Yeah, uh, it is. All right, uh, West of the Rockies, you're on here with Major Ed Dames. Hello. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Kip. And, um, Where are you? I'm in uh, San Jose, California. Okay. And my question is, uh, let's see, for Ed, um, have you ever heard of uh, Neotech? Hmm. That's one question. I don't. I don't believe so. Okay, because that's that's pretty interesting that you just talked about a con a discontinuity. Because um, the guy that wrote this book talked about that we are going into another level, like you guys talked before, and uh, and he shows a chart that shows it kind of skips when we go to this other level. But I guess since you haven't heard about that, uh, I've seen charts similar charts. Um, I think um, a guy named uh, Greg Braden, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, something something to zero point uh, has uh, talks along those lines. Okay, awakening to zero point. I think is this book. Okay, and then my other question. Um, let's see. Um, I'm surprised no one's brought it up. <laughs> You've talked about before that. Uh, um, that if you don't tell someone about the remote viewing, then then it works. But if you do tell them, then they can kind of change it. Um, you know, what, that what there would be a par paradox. Except for massive events, events that have a large momentum, particularly things like geophysical events, then it, it's then it be, the individual has a choice whether or not to participate in the event. There's free will choice involved. Sure. If the event is solely of connected with an indi one individual, then we run into the paradox problem. And in your view, in your opinion, is there a single continuity of time, or is it possible that there are various timelines, that in one timeline a cylinder is going to land, and in some other timeline, some other dimension, some other Earth, it will not occur? No, that's a real new agey type of uh, thing here all the time, and, and that would be, if, for instance, if if you had uh, an incurable disease, and uh, I had a group of a uh, uh, pool together, a group of psychics, and some of them said that, hey, in in 
uh, one timeline, you're fine. And others said, in this timeline, you're not. Then I could come to you and say, Art, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. You're living well in another timeline. Uh, you, you, I think you get my gist. Or I do. an aircraft accident, an explosion. You know, on, in another timeline, uh, are those passengers still alive or did they die twice? Uh, we, I, I'm not sure that, uh, that God uh, does play dice with the universe. It, it looks like there is only one uh, timeline most of the time, at least as we discern it. Well, there are theoretical physicists who are beginning to suspect there are multi-dimensions. I, I know that. All I'm saying is down here where the rubber meets the road, and in uh, my experience in terms of the practical use of this, um, what we get, if we're able to discern an event, and it's al it already exists and it's going to happen in our experience. Hmm. Well, as always, uh, here we are through another show. It has been a real, real pleasure uh, having you on, Ed, and I hope that you will tackle as a project. I really enjoyed um, the Phoenix Lights thing tonight, and I hope you will tackle what occurred with that satellite uh, last week, which has many, many of us uh, tremendously puzzled. Now, it seemed like too much of a coincidence that it occurred during that particular call. Uh, but even that call, totally aside, the fact that they were able somehow to take our satellite away from us is a remarkable thing, and I would love to know the answer to it. So if there's any way you can go after that, go after it. Well, we'll, we'll do that. We go in totally unbiased when we do that, with no preconceived notions, and uh, we 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 were able to discern uh, cause and effect. In the meantime, I will indeed notarize that envelope when it arrives. Uh, the, the one that will predict the death of an, uh, a world leader. All right? You may not want to see it. Well, I... I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, it's, com it's coming your way, Art. All right. I'll look for it, Ed. Okay. Thanks. Good night. Good night. All right, folks. That's it. Uh, those of you who get the hour that is to follow will hear a detailed explanation of... Um, my incredible trip to see Daniel Brinkley. He is alive. If you want to see a photo of him, a quickly put up photo, it's on my website right now on the uh, webcam, the live webcam. Simply click on that and you will see Daniel literally hours ago in intensive care. It's uh, been quite a few days. Thank you all from the high desert. Good night.